we talk a lot at these seminars and at the internal seminars at the Reuters Institute about social video, social media, about the future of um, TV news. Uh, and therefore, I think this afternoon's discussion is going to be uh, very interesting and very relevant to all of that. And I'm delighted that uh, Saka al Makadi, how did I do? Perfect. Good, excellent. <laughs> uh, Saka has joined us from AJ. Saka started his career uh, as a BBC trainee went into uh, local radio, worked in uh, Arabic print magazines, and uh, and then he was just explained to me, largely to his uh, Twitter and online profile, got picked up and given a job with AJ Plus. AJ Plus is the uh, social media and social video operation for Al Jazeera, based largely out of San Francisco, but also with people around the world. And uh, Saka's going to explain to us uh, how they have successfully targeted a younger and different audience and had some significant success there, and also how they've managed to succeed in North America when traditional Al Jazeera America uh, network channel failed. So really interesting stuff about online social video and the future of TV news. Thank you, Richard. Um, well, AJ Plus started as a bit of an experiment, <coughs> literally an experiment. It came out of the incubation unit of Al Jazeera. And it was seen as a project that, that may or may not work. It was uh, a new way of, of trying to push news to younger audiences. Um, and it was seen as a, just kind of a, a pet project of a few people in the network by, by the broadcast channels. Um, and we were trying some very daring, brave things in the early days, trying to reach out to new audiences in America that Al Jazeera as a network had been trying for 20 years and, and largely failing uh, for different reasons, for carriage reasons, for, for access reasons. And, and now it's one of the most successful parts of the network. Um, and so I don't know how many of you have uh, seen AJ Plus videos on a regular basis, but in the style and uh, format of uh, an AJ Plus story, I am going to do today's presentation in the form of a listicle. <laughs> So, AJ Plus is, it occupies something of a new space in broadcast journalism, in journalism overall. It is largely defined by its audiences because of the, the particular relationship and the way that we can communicate with our audiences. It's a two-way relationship, um, and I mean that in a, in a fundamental way. It's not just UGC, user-generated content, in the same way that broadcast networks thought they were being interactive in the mid-2000s. Um, everything we do is defined by our audiences. And there have been some really successful examples in this social media space. Um, Vox has been doing incredible things with its explainers. Great big story from CNN um, is visually incredible and really powerful. Um, Vice has done some, some impressive things with long form uh, and in the documentary space. Um, and then now this and Channel 4 News and AJ Plus have been focusing on the, the short-form news, as well as other things. But our success, the engine of our, of our success has largely been in the short-form uh, two-minute news videos. Um, and then there have been some other uh, more specialized uh, Facebook pages, such as the Dodo, uh, focusing on animal stories and, and tech and environment uh, pages as well. And the success of these broadcasters because I'll call them broadcasters, even though this isn't television, the success of them has been largely because they understood that this wasn't television. Uh, the legacy networks, the linear broadcast networks, thought they got Facebook and YouTube um, five or ten years ago by dumping television packages online. And it really still surprises me how broadcast networks are still doing this. 
Channel 4 is one of the few exceptions, um, and one of the few exceptions outside the US that is doing well. Um, print realized in the 1990s that you needed a different product, you needed a different way of reaching your audiences uh, than, than uh, the legacy print newspaper. But television has taken 20 years and it still hasn't woken up. Um, and I think that it all comes down to how we define journalists. We still, of course, need the, the professionalism, the fact-checking, um, and the, the ethics and the rule of law and the acceptance of media law that comes from, from professional training. But we need to accept that our audiences are a lot more media literate and a lot more media savvy and understand the, the, news, the, the news production cycle better than we believed that traditional news audiences did. Um, and so the boundaries between the viewer and the journalist are becoming blurred. I think that social news came out of a space uh, from, came out of, of the growth of Twitter. So in the growth of Twitter, we saw that traditional broadcast journalists were interacting with their audiences um, right from the beginning of the news cycle, from the beginning of the, of the day, from the, the, the news agenda meeting in the morning, right through to production in the evening. They were talking to the audiences, <coughs> discussing the stories, uh, getting sources, getting feedback on the stories that they produced the day before. And this relationship really, this changed relationship defined how social video news emerged uh, three or four years ago. Um, so what I want to, to show you is really how this new space has given us the freedom to do new things. We haven't been forced to follow the traditional broadcast news agenda. We've got uh, the ability, for example, to take cues from print journalism. So we're not uh, dependent on the, the obsession of, of finding uh, uh, visuals to, to tell the story. We can take cues from print. Um, and it's something that we did uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing a story about the, the Stanford sexual assault, um, where the, uh, a, a woman was, was sexually assaulted. Um, her attacker went to court and she wrote a letter to him explaining the, exactly the trauma that she'd been through. And it wasn't a traditional broadcast news story because we, didn't, we couldn't identify her. Um, we didn't have images of her. We didn't have uh, images of the family and we didn't have any interviews. So what we did was we struggled for a whole day looking for boring, bland B-roll to put text over. And then we realized, actually, we don't need to do any of that. We can just do something like... something like this. So all we did here was we just uh, printed, the, printed her letter out and put text over it and put quotes over it. And it was an experiment because we had no idea how, whether this would do well, whether people would care about it, whether people would watch it, but it did incredibly well. Um, and it just proves that actually we've got the freedom to do things like that. We can, we can experiment and we can play around with formats. Um, we also did something that uh, another thing that, that traditional broadcast journalism wouldn't do, uh, by taking cues from print, in, in, by taking uh, this story about a refugee's backpack. We got a refugee, uh, we found a refugee at the height of the refugee crisis in, in Turkey, um, who was risking his life to cross the Mediterranean, and we got him to just open up his back, backpack. It was a, you know, a, a double-page spread in the New Yorker. You could imagine that it would be one of those beautiful visual stories, an infographic almost. Um, and we got this guy to, to just open up his backpack and show us what was inside. And, and that's the thing that you, that's the kind of video that you wouldn't um, imagine running on a traditional broadcast news bulletin. Um, but we had the freedom to do that. We, had, we have the freedom to do more featurey style stories in new ways. Um, 
But it also gives us the freedom to, to have a voice and to have a tone and a language. Uh, and that language is the language of the internet, the language of Twitter. And we have to be more irreverent. Uh, we have to speak the language of our audience. And it makes some traditional broadcast journalists uncomfortable because it sounds like we're taking a position. But it isn't. We're not taking a position. We still have the, the, the impartiality and treating stories with respect uh, in the same way that we, we were trained to do as, as traditional journalists. But we're speaking to a different kind of audience now. And that audience expects irreverence. And we have to be very careful when we're covering stories like the, the Trump story because uh, I think it's quite clear that um, a lot of social media audiences are now speaking in an echo chamber and are speaking to themselves and are uh, rabidly anti-Trump. And we have to be careful not to cross that line. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be irreverent and have some fun. And sometimes we do. And sometimes uh, we push things. So Betsy DeVos uh, went... Uh, so Betsy DeVos... Uh, was having her, I think it was her, her hearing in, in Congress where she said um, that she wanted to keep guns in schools. And one of the reasons that she wanted to keep guns in schools and, and have uh, armed security in schools was because of uh, grizzly bears. And so we didn't let her get away with it. There's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. And we had to, we had to talk to ourselves and and question whether we were going too far with that, whether we were pushing the irreverence too far. And I think that there's a fine, there's a fine line to balance, and I don't think we did push it too far, and I'm still happy that we did something ridiculous with her ridiculous statement. Um, forget everything apart from the first three seconds. If you lose the audience in the first three seconds, you've lost a view. And, and this isn't just about the way that Facebook works. And unfortunately, Facebook works by counting a view as someone who has stopped on a video for three seconds. It's much more than that. We are pushing our stories to an audience that hasn't come to us. We're trying to get people to stop scrolling on Facebook. And Facebook is our largest <coughs> platform. We have to get people to stop. And we have four ways of getting to stop. We have a thumbnail, which is a still image that appears in place of the video before the autoplay kicks in. We have uh, a Facebook description above the video and a Facebook comment, the first official AJ Plus comment below the video. And we have the video itself. If we lose a viewer in those first three seconds, uh, we've lost a view. And that means that we've had to turn the language of broadcast news and broadcast storytelling upside down. Um, when I started in broadcast news, we, we focused on the traditional package format, which was a wide establishing shot, uh, a close-up, a piece of camera, an interview, a wide shot, a close-up, and then an, uh, an end piece. And every single one of those elements is going to fail on social media. None of those pieces work. If you start with a wide shot, most people are watching on mobile, so you've lost them there because they can't see what's going on. If you then go into a close-up and a piece to camera, 60% of our audience on, on most videos watches with the sound off, so they're going to miss the piece to camera. Uh, and then if you go into a, an interview, unless it's subtitled, again, they'll miss the important part of the video. So we've had to turn things upside down. We start with the most powerful image. We never start with an establishing shot. Um, and we often, if we're starting with a powerful shot, a powerful interview, then we will animate that text. Uh, and we'll run the text big over the screen. Um, and the, the key is just to hook people in. So it's, it's in the, the art of traditional headline writing in tabloids. It's exactly the same kind of art. So AJ Plus is not just reaching new audiences on new platforms. It's kind of 
changing the way that we tell the stories. It's forcing us to change the way that we tell the stories. Um, and that's partly because of the platform, because of the algorithms and because of the technical side, but also partly because our audience is socially literate and they don't care about a wide establishing shot and a beautifully flowery written uh, featurey style intro. Um, so I'm going to show you two clips. Uh, the first one is uh, this drone video, which is just, uh, I think the, the visuals at the top of this are beautiful, the music works really well, and then we've got some punchy text. And that's it. I mean, we didn't have much to work with there, but it's a video about a, a kid who won a drone racing competition at the age of 15. I mean, traditional broadcast media would have started with a stand-up and then maybe got into an interview with him, but we can't do that. So. We've got those elements. We've got other elements that we can play with. We've got the music for the 40% that has the sound on. We've got the powerful visuals. And we've got the, the punchy text right at the top. Um, and then another story uh, was about babies um, who were born to mothers who had drug addictions. And they were born with heroin addiction. Um, and it's a really powerful story. It's a really important story. Um, but it starts with... It starts with that image of a baby shaking. And it's a really, it's a really powerful image to begin with. And that story really um, went to the heart of how AJ Plus can be different and is different because it started a conversation. I, there, were, you know, there was no one in our newsroom who knew about this problem of, of kids being born to drug addicted mothers. And it started a conversation about the, the ethics, about who was right and wrong, whether whether the mother was wrong, whether the medical uh, services and social services were wrong for not picking up on, on her addiction. And it actually led to uh, a woman who had suffered the same thing commenting um, under our video, and that led to a follow-up story that we were able to commission uh, about her. And that goes back to the, the idea that we have a very different relationship with our audiences that we'll come to in a bit. Um, but one of the most important things for me about that story was that it was about a person. It wasn't about... <coughs> The, the character in that story wasn't the issue. It wasn't this, the, the problem in America of, of people, of drug-addicted babies being born. It was this very specific case of this mother. Um, and that brings me on to point number three. Because we're narcissists, um, we care about people, and we care about people's stories. And because of the way the internet works and because we are trying to capture uh, people's attention in those three seconds, we have to focus on character stories. Um, the thing that we found through, through analysis of the, the data that we've got access to is that stories where there's a thumbnail or an opening image where you can connect with the character's eyes uh, are much more likely to get a view than where you can't. So where you start with a wide shot of a group of people, you're much less likely to get someone to stick with that video than if you've got a full frame uh, person looking into your eyes. Um, and character profiles do a lot better. And we try to always focus on the human stories that can tell a bigger story around it or that tap into a bigger social issue that we're trying to talk about. Um, and so for freelance VJs, most of our original commissions come from freelancers. And the ones that do the best and the ones that we're much more likely to pick up on are character profiles. Um, so for example, we did uh, a story about a British girl who was trying to... Uh, get a hijab emoji um, put into the Unicode uh, set. Um, we did a story about a clown in Gaza who was trying to help uh, kids with PTSD 
heal from the traumas of war. Um, and we did a story about Yemen's first female rapper raising awareness about women's rights. And all of these stories, they tap into bigger social issues, and social issues are what define a lot of our coverage. Um, but they're told through the lens of an individual character with an, with an interesting story. And so I'm, I want to play to you um, a story about a, uh, a story that came about in a very interesting way. We were heavily commissioning on the, the refugee crisis when it began. Um, it didn't immediately seem to have uh, a US angle and didn't seem to immediately be relevant to a US audience, to a young US audience. But after the, the death of Alan Kurdi on the beach, um, that image went around the world and we realized that there, there was a bigger story in here that, that our audiences were gonna connect with, the universality of it was was going to be picked up on and so we went um, full-scale commissioning on that we were commissioning two or three <coughs> pieces a day from uh, from across Europe as the the refugees and migrants moved across the continent and we had a VJ who was um, out in the field trying to pitch us stories and every day coming back with new stories and she mentioned in passing that she'd come across a girl who had been separated from her family because um, she'd run away I think because the security services were after her and she'd lost track of her family in the mess that was happening in Hungary and we told this journalist to go back and follow her. And what came out of it was a story that's still really hard for me to watch because of the, because of the end shot in this story. Unusually, for me, it's the, the end shot that is the most powerful in this story, but, um, but one that helps to tell the bigger refugee crisis in 2015 through the eyes of one 15-year-old girl. Um, she was found pretty soon after that, um, in part because one of her dad's friends uh, saw the AJ Plus video. And um, I mean, the, the authorities had picked her up and were taking her back, but her dad found out that she was safe and where she was because one of her dad's friends told her that he'd seen that video. So these videos can have an impact and, and that video is still really hard for me to watch. Um, but it just shows that these personal stories are more important, they're more powerful, they have more impact and they're more relevant and they can have a, a, a bigger impact on, on the bigger story than leading with uh, a death toll or uh, wide shots. Stories about natural disasters typically do really badly for us, for example, even if you've got beautiful drone shots of the aftermath of an earthquake. And one of the ways that we discovered that was because we are uh, very hot on data and we've got an entire team uh, analyzing data, which brings me on to point number four. So it's really important to understand the data and to have a team that can dig into the data and, and use these dark arts and this uh, social engineering to understand what works for audiences. But it's also really important not to be led by that and not to, uh, to focus direction uh, depending on what the data is telling you because it could be very easy to uh, go down the line of producing cat videos which do very well, and food videos, which is depressing, but true. And we do them sometimes. Um, but it's, it's a brave new world, and we're still trying to figure out how to do it and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And data is, a, it can be a crutch to lean on sometimes. It shows us what works and what doesn't, and it shows us uh, how our audiences are reacting to certain things. And it also tells us that those first three seconds are vital because that counts as a view. But the next big metric is going to be retention. And while the headline figures are still uh, view counts, 
um, engagement, in, in our opinion, is a lot more important than uh, absolute number of viewers. Because engagement is how you reach new audiences. And engagement means uh, people liking, commenting, or sharing the video. And why is that important? Because uh, the pure way of getting an AJ Plus video is you go onto Facebook, you click like on the AJ Plus page, and then you're fed with AJ Plus videos. But a huge chunk of our audience comes from people who've never liked AJ Plus. They're people who are being pushed these videos, and they're being pushed these videos because their friends, their immediate friends, or, uh, or two or three degrees of separation, have liked or commented or shared that video. And so that's why engagement is a lot more important because it helps build the audience. It's fine having uh, a 200,000 view video, but if all of that audience is from uh, existing viewers, then you haven't developed your audience. When you get a viral hit, it's because that audience has spread beyond your core. Um, so retention is gonna be one of the next big metrics. It's gonna be the future. It's gonna be what people are gonna start looking at because, uh, because of the way that we're obsessed with one algorithm on Facebook, and Facebook tomorrow could change its mind about how it measures views. YouTube, for example, cares about 30-second views, not three-second views. So we're now looking at how many people stay to the end of our video, and uh, roughly, Facebook videos get about 10%, news videos get about 10% uh, retention to the end, which is terrible. Um, and even 10-second views are not brilliant. So what are you gaining? What are you doing as a journalist if you're getting a viewer for three seconds or five seconds or six seconds, unless you can tell a story in two lines. Um, but there's always the question that we ask ourselves is not necessarily what the big news agenda of the day is, uh, what the BBC is doing or what Al Jazeera English is doing, but what can we add to a story? How can we join a conversation? Are people talking about this story online? Are we going <coughs> to add anything to this story? And is it going to push a conversation forward? Because that's what uh, that's what gets us engagement. That's why people will share our video and comment uh, and like a story. There's no point telling a hard news story in a straight news way. Although we do have to do that sometimes, it doesn't add anything. Um, so this idea of engagement is, I think, very foreign to traditional broadcast journalists. And it's something that we did differently. And we have uh, a lot of support within activist communities. Um, and we've gained that by understanding how activist networks work. Um, because in some ways, social news works in very similar ways. It uh, punches above its weight. It gets virality. It gets messages to be shared. If you look at, for example, um, the Green Party's election adverts in the UK, they're some of, the, some of the most widely watched because they understand the idea of virality. And they, they understand how stories and videos spread around the internet. And so we've understood that and we've learned from that. Um, and we've communicated with activist networks and we've occasionally got videos from them uh, and we've worked within this, uh, in, the same, uh, in a similar framework to spread our stories. Um, and so for us, engagement is integral to our news operation. It's a kind of feedback loop. And it's, I think, one of the most distinctive parts of social news. It, what's dis what distinguishes us most from broadcast news, this idea of engagement. Because our story comes to life as soon as we put it online. If there are any errors in the video, uh, they will be caught within seconds and we then issue a correction or potentially pull the video down. So I, I think there is a higher burden of proof on us, a higher burden of fact-checking uh, than in, in traditional broadcast news because we, can, we would have to pull the story within, within minutes. Um, but there's also the potential to uh, gain new stories. So for example, in the heroin baby story, we gained a story from that, uh, from that video and from the conversation that started because of that video. Um, we did a story about a refugee family in Lebanon, Syrian refugees, uh, 
they couldn't get citizenship because it's, it's very difficult to get citizenship in Lebanon. They were living there illegally. Um, they couldn't afford medical treatment and they were living in an illegal refugee camp. And one of the, one of the kids had, had suffered uh, really traumatic PTSD. And we did a story about him and we had hundreds of offers of support uh, for the family. And although we couldn't liaise directly with, the, uh, with the, the offers and the donors and the NGO that was, was working with us, they made contact with these people who are offering support through the comments section of our video. So it can have uh, real social impact and real world impact. And that brings me on to point number five. So solutions-oriented journalism is something that um, we discovered by accident, I think, and it's something that we still haven't formalized yet. Um, I think other broadcasters are doing it uh, very well. I know that the BBC is, is focusing quite heavily on, on solutions-oriented journalism, and it's, it's kind of uh, positive impact journalism. So stories which uh, tell stories of, of people who are improving the world in some way. So we commissioned a story on, um, I'll play the video for you and let the video tell the story, but we commissioned a story on uh, these women who were making bikes out of bamboo. And we liked the story. We knew it had interesting visuals and we knew the video journalist and we thought, let's just commission it. We know the data isn't gonna do well. And it blew up. It got 25 million views within a couple of weeks. Um, and it taught us something very important. And stories like that and angles like that, these positive impact stories, the solution-oriented journalism, came out of the idea of data analysis and looking at what was shared and what was shared more widely. And through psychological analysis, we learned that uh, positive stories, stories where, which, had, which gave, offered solutions to difficult or seemingly intractable problems, environmental stories, um, uh, often uh, were, were more likely to be shared. So the sad emotion, stories of pity, uh, do very badly in terms of engagement, in terms of comments, and especially in terms of shares, uh, than uh, stories with a positive impact. And that brings me actually onto also the idea of how we handle big news stories as well. So for example, when we've been covering uh, terror attacks, when we've been covering uh, the, the London bombings and the Manchester bombings especially, we've been doing something new lately, which is rather than covering the death toll or the immediate impact or the police investigation or the pol politicians' responses, we've been looking at how people have been trying to turn this into a positive. So issues of, you know, stories about uh, taxi drivers giving free rides, people offering their sofas uh, to victims um, have done a lot better because they offer uh, solutions to, to, to things that seem to make our, our world an ugly place. Um, and so AJ Plus has really done something that the Al Jazeera network has been trying for 20 years, which is to, to break America, first of all, and to reach new young audiences. Um, and we've done that by telling stories that are very personal, that have an impact, um, often talking about positive change, um, but most importantly by focusing on the idea of engagement and talking to our audiences and listening to our audiences and following up uh, with what they're calling for. So it's not completely obsessed with, with data. Data is vital and it's very important, but the higher principles, the Rethian ideas of uh, focusing on, on, on pushing stories that may not do well, but are important stories to tell, uh, are still very much with us. Okay, thank you very much.